Hello and welcome to Automators, the automation podcast about making all of your devices do everything for you and even letting you have some fun with them. My name is Rosemary Orchard and I'm joined as always by David Sparks. Hey David, how are you today? I am great, Rose, and uh, so happy to be here talking to you. We we haven't done a show for a little while just because of scheduling things, so uh, mm-hmm. it's always fun talking to Rosemary. And we have the guests at the end of the universe with us today. Welcome to the show, <laughs> Daniel Jalkut. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, this was a little bit of scheduling hijinks uh, getting getting here this time, so I'm really glad it's working out and there's no uh, loud construction going on outside my doors and everything <laughs> seems to be coming up roses. No no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Rosa, just to give you a little backstage again, uh, Daniel is an automator, but he's also a developer and he developed one of our favorite apps, Fast Scripts, which, you know, I believe now that I think about it, I think you may have sponsored us at one point, but that's that's not why we're uh, yes. here. We don't, we don't do that. But Daniel's a, a friend who makes a great automation app and we thought we got to get Daniel on to talk about Fast Scripts and then then Daniel's house started getting constructed upon, and it just took a long time. But we did it, and we're here, gang, and we've got a great show in store for you today. Sounds great. Let's let's do a let's do a great show. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be the the best show in the history of podcasting. I think it, that's the plan. That today. was my pro. That was my promise. So there. we'll see. Well, yeah. well, well, I think we've got a pretty good place to get started because not only are you the creator of file scripts, but you've you know if you go to Red Sweater Software, um, then you can have a poke around, and there's all sorts of goodies there. Um, you know everything from Mars Edit, my my favorite blog editor that if only I were not using Jekyll, I could use um, to you know obviously file scripts and, and much more. But how did you get started in automation? Because obviously you're here now. You're a developer. You're not just automating things you're creating automation tools but where did this all begin oh man i uh i can't imagine a life without automation so i guess if i think back you know my dad was a software engineer and so i was introduced to the idea of programming very very young uh my memory is six or seven you know starting to like just point me at the idea of computer instructions and following the flow of logic. And um, I remember really also being pretty young, my dad doing some things at the time that were automation, you know, things, I, I don't know if I can remember the exact things, but I remember him just kind of like celebrating the idea of writing a computer program. And this was at a time when I don't think there were any real popular automation technologies. Uh, we weren't on the Mac at that point either. We were on a like, Commodore Amiga. But, um, you know, just the idea that you could harness the power of a computer to make something tedious, less tedious, is, uh, you know, I think I think every programmer by nature is an automator. And what the folks listening who don't consider themselves programmers, I think should appreciate is that very instinct they have to make these tedious things less tedious is exactly what drives every programmer. And a lot of automation is programming, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just, um, so my memory goes back real far, um, always trying to find the easy way out basically, you know, this is a cliche, but you know, a lot of programmers like to say they're lazy. I bet a lot of automators Mm -hmm. don't, don't count themselves as programmers claim to be lazy. Although, you know, there's also the uh, classic pitfall that we will spend like six hours automating a five, you know, a five minute task. Uh, (laughs) As long as it gets us out of having to do that five minute task, even one additional time. Uh, 
but yeah, it's um it's my mindset. I like to um in general in life, I like to look at things, optimize them, make them better, more efficient. Uh, you know, this this comes to things like I'm thinking about the fact that I'm perhaps like overly proud of my method for making coffee in the morning where um, I haven't figured out how to pour the water in and start the coffee maker before I scoop the coffee, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and because I because I know the timing so that I won't um, I won't end up with water coming out of the coffee maker before the, the scoops are in there. Uh, right. And I just feel I just feel proud of those things. And I think that's mm. what automators feel when they've shaved a few seconds off of something or made something just feel a little better to do. You don't even have to necessarily save time, but just making the process feel better. You know, yeah. I think that's something a lot of people overlook. Automation and it kind of gets at that that joke about like, well, you spent all this time to automate something that didn't take that long anyway. A lot of it is just making your environment more comfortable to you. Right. And that's kind of my approach to all of all of the use of all technology. You know, it's funny, Daniel. I've never really thought about that, but I am like you. I like when I scramble an egg, I have a very specific order I do it in, and it's the most efficient order. And the, the way the dishes get washed, the egg gets scrambled, everything gets done specific order. Same thing when I feed the dog, the order that I get the food out and you know, the way I do it all. Um, I have like automated that process. And I think it's almost, I think a lot of people listening will relate to this, right? I mean, if you've mm-hmm. got the mindset that you're going to be interested in automation, you can't help but bring it into the analog world with you. Yeah. And I think there's kind of a sense of like everything in its right place. Uh, recently this past season, I have started, uh, I started taking ice skating lessons and Ooh. it really started to give me an appreciation for how you can kind of be in accord with your environment, right? Mm-hmm. So like, um, like most people who have ever ice skated, um, my experience before was get on the ice skates, you know, kind of clumsily step over to the ice and then hope for dear God, you don't fall, right? And just kind of try to move forward. Yeah. And the lessons sort of taught me how to be in the right posture, you know, to sort of like harness the power of the ice. And that Mm -hmm. in that way, I kind of think there's something to that with this idea of like, you know, scrambling the eggs the right way. Um, and and it makes me appreciate, for instance, like I bet you could uh interview a dancer and the dancer would understand the idea that, you know, moving their body in a certain way feels like the most efficient way to do, Mm -hmm. like to achieve what they're trying to do. Um, So there's something really kind of, I think, philosophical at the, at the root of all this. Yeah. I mean, uh, David Allen mentioned this in GTD that he's got a a section, um, at least in the original book about flow theory. It's like a mental state where you're just performing optimally and you're absorbed by your tasks. Um, And I always thought of it as like you have a little sense of satisfaction in what you're doing as well of it doesn't feel clunky. Um, And that for me is where a lot of automation comes in because I can do things like I can go and move these files into this folder and rename them all with this, um, you know, prefix. I can do that manually and it doesn't take me very long, but having to do it feels kind of clunky and I end up doing things like, well, let's just open the folder automatically and stuff. And then, you know, before, before I know it, I've actually done the thing where I've just got it to rename the files. And then because I like to check on my work, it just 
opens the folder afterwards and is like, hey, by the way, I did the thing for you. Here you go. Um, there's just a sense of satisfaction going, oh, it did that thing. And not only did it do that thing, it did it exactly the way I like it to be done. So even if I'm not completely with it as it's going through doing things, like it's it's accurate, even if I'm not on the ball because I've taken the time to set that up. So it can let me, slack off is the wrong word, but relax a little bit <laughs> um, and focus on other things. And at the end, you get to say, yep, nailed it again. Yep. <laughs> there I go. <laughs> you exactly. know, you get to feel feel the satisfaction of doing it perfectly, um, which I do think is something that feeds a lot of this, too. And I bet it feeds the dancer and it feeds the ice skater, too. I, yes. I, I do yeah. think that um, that also, you know, the comment you made earlier about how all programmers are automators. I would argue that all automators are programmers, too. I, you know, mm, if you're right. going to mm-hmm. do this stuff, I mean, they're hopefully not too complicated but you know sometimes they get complicated too but a lot automators like do a level of program it's not the same thing that you'll do when you're working at apple or or making an app but it is a level of programming and it takes that kind of mindset that logical progression um, because the computers are not very smart right we've got to tell them exactly what order to do things and it takes that kind of mindset in order to be a good automator Yeah, I think uh, a key way to think about that is whatever tool you're using for automation at the time may not have the depth or breadth to automate things using the same techniques and and strategy that you would with, say, a more advanced tool like, let's say, the Swift programming language. Yeah, It may not have that depth and breadth, but whatever you do in shortcuts or automator or, you know... um, your whatever your script um that something simpler than what you're doing today can be done in a more advanced tool so Mm -hmm. that is to say whatever it is you're doing you could probably already you're already capable of doing the same kind of thing in a more advanced tool it's just that the more advanced tools also offer you the ability to to expand beyond that skill set yeah yes and it, it, a lot of this stuff is about the logic behind it, you know, of what is the problem that you're trying to solve and how do you get from A to B by, and, and you know, do you also do C as well? Um, and, and that's a good chunk of it. And on, oftentimes tools like Keyboard Maestro or Shortcuts abstract some of the difficulties involved. I spent, you know, a good 15 minutes earlier today attempting to read some specific files with Python. Um, and it turned out the entire thing was that I was in the wrong location. And so it was reading from the wrong path. Of course it was. Something very, very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that that's the sort of thing where something like Shortcuts makes that a lot easier. And so, you know, you don't have to, you know, futz around with stuff like that, which can often put people off of these things. Um, because, you know, if, if it takes 15 minutes for a programmer to read a file, um, in the end, you know, admittedly a half asleep programmer at the time, um, you know, then how long is it going to take somebody who doesn't know that, that programming language? Um, and it, that's difficult, but a lot of tools make it a lot easier and it's, it's really good that we have those as options and that, you know, everybody listening to this is a programmer. If you've ever created a shortcut, even if it's just one action, congratulations, you, you get a little gold star. I totally agree with that. And I'm also in the camp of people who is persistently trying to convince everybody I know that if they want to become a quote unquote programmer, you know, the more universally accepted form of programmer, Mm -hmm. then it's open to you. And I know some people just feel like they don't have the mind for it or whatever. But trust me, if you are thinking in terms of automation at all, 
then you have the mind for it. It's just a matter of like everything else, overcoming the the learning curve. I mean, when I, I started, I was into programming a lot more as a kid, as I've grown up, I, mm-hmm. I, I never grew up, but as I got older, <laughs> I've kind of <laughs> just kind of adopted, well, my, the level of programming I want to dive into is automation. I don't want to go further. I've got other things I want to do. Because, but when I was a kid, it was really hard because it was assembly code. I started on an Atari. You started on an Amiga. But um, you were really you were writing binary into your computer to make it do anything interesting. Like if you tried to write it in basic, it was so slow. Um, but now those tools are much easier for people, and that's why you've got kids going through middle school making you know really great apps and. And I agree with you that's out there. But also the flip side of that is, and if you're listening to the show saying, well, I don't want to become a programmer, that's okay. You can just be an automator and that's all right. My, my point is that you have a programmer's kind of mindset when you come to it. But but whether you use this as your gateway drug to become you know, the next great programmer or just a way to get your work done a little faster, um, I really think that this is something you should be exploring. And we'll just call you a programmer behind your back. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 But it's definitely a positive, not a negative. That's right. But so you started doing automation as a kid. And at some point you went beyond automation. You know, you began programming computers and, and tell us just a little bit about your journey there. Yeah. So I, I mentioned how my dad was a programmer and, when I think back and when I, when I tell that story about like how early I was exposed to programming, people often assume I must have been programming myself shortly after. Um, but I sort of, you know, it was a sort of a combination of my dad not pushing programming on me and mm-hmm. my own interests not really emphasizing that, uh, in, you know. So like just to say in stark contrast to some people who grew up with parents who program I didn't end up really programming that much um, until I was much older. Uh, When I say much older, I mean like 16. Uh, So I spent most of my childhood not programming, um, even though I had computers, my, you know, ranging from uh, first computer I remember my dad having was a K-Pro, had Commodore Amigas, Commodore 64 before that. You know, and I remember cracking open. Uh, this is also something I try to remember to remind people because at this point, I'm not modest. I am a really good programmer. Okay. I'm an adult. I've learned over 20 plus years of programming how to be good at it. But when I was a teenager and I opened uh, the Commodore 64 basic manual, I remember just getting perplexed at the GoSub instruction which is like the basic mm-hmm. instruction to call a subroutine. And um, so I, long story short, I never learned how to program the Commodore 64. I never really learned how to program basic at all. And it was because I was overwhelmed. I had the book. I had a dad who could have helped me. I had, you know, resources. And I felt like I couldn't do it. And it um, is a sort of testament, I think, to you know, coming back to something, if, even things that you think maybe you couldn't do because – uh, as it happened, what finally motivated me to learn to program was getting my first Mac. And uh, I, like I said, you know, before my Mac, uh, my first Mac, I did a little bit of programming on Unix. 
because I was part of like a university Unix community. And so I did a little bit of C programming on Unix. And then I got a Mac. And the idea of like, like it is for so many kids, the idea of making a game took over. Yeah. And a game, a game with graphics. So um, there's a, there's a, an app I wrote that is, um, some of you might remember this game style from from Unix, and I think it's been adapted to other platforms by other people. But it's basically, it's usually called Daleks, and it's a robot-type game where you just kind of make, you know, inspired by Doctor Who's uh, Daleks. It's just like uh, you move around and try to make the robots crash into each other. Um, mm-hmm. This was a Unix game that I used to play on this Unix community. And when I first got my PowerBook Duo 210, uh, it was my first Mac that I owned and, and could use for myself. Uh, my, my family was not a Mac family, so I, I brought my family kicking and screaming into the Apple <laughs> ecosystem. Um, but I got my first Mac, and I thought, this has graphics, and I need to learn how to program it. Um, and so mm-hmm. I got um, this great app on the Mac at that time. It was there, First of all, there was a compiler called ThinkC, and there was this great app called Think Reference. And it was just from a time, it's kind of like the the equivalent of like the Dash documentation app today. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but yeah. it's cool. Um, but it's just basically like a nice, like hyperlink-based, you know, documentation thing. And I just tried to read everything I could about the Mac toolbox at that time. And I wrote my first game and I put it out there as shareware. And I think I was, you know, um, maybe 17 or something at the time. Uh, and that got me started. And uh, after that, I was committed to the Mac. And it's sort of just a fast track. Like I said, I didn't learn to program until kind of late for a for a programmer's son. But um, by within a few years, I was working at my first job at Apple as a as a quality engineer, um, a tester, and managed to just get into the right into the right doors to end up programming for the um system seven team and that's it that's the story (laughs) so anyway see you next week (laughs) i mean but that that really goes to show you know that just because you've got you know parents who who can do this and you know you had the ability to learn you don't have to learn it you know right from you know the age of being knee high you can learn programming whenever you want and then you know become great at it as you obviously are because of all the apps that you've created and are running and supporting today Right. I th- and I, sometimes I think about that, um, you know, I don't want to diminish the impact my dad in particular had on me. But um, like like I said already, uh, you know, I didn't really use that resource much. But I think just having a dad who was so steeped in programming, knowing it kind of demystified it, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if you um, if you were like a shoemaker's daughter and somebody says to you like shoemaking is impossible like how would anybody even start you you might have like mm-hmm. the sense like well actually you know you take these things and they stitch them together and this is how it works even though maybe you had never tried to make a shoe mm-hmm. um so but when the time came that i wanted to program you know it's like like so many people emphasize these days of giving kids role models um well, i had a role model you know i had a role model yeah. that i could step into the shoes of so to speak. And yeah, I'm grateful that I did because it turns out, turns out I like programming and I didn't even know that I was going to like programming 
frankly, until after I went to, to college. I, 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 I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and luckily, I think I ended up doing what I like. So is that like a good news, bad thing, news thing for your dad? It's like good news is Daniel's into programming. The bad news is he's became one of those Mac weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was for sure. And we used to have these annoying debates about the Mac because he was just so steeped in this like anti-Mac rhetoric. Uh, he was like, you know, among the, he was a compiler engineer and none of his compiler friends used Macs. So all of the like hyperbole about Macs being toys and this and that and the other thing. And I'll tell you what, it's perfect for the automators show because my dad at some point grudgingly, I think what happened is after I was working at Apple for a while, he was sort of proud enough of me working at Apple that he thought maybe he should get a Mac just to like Mm -hmm. be play for the home team. And, um, got a Mac and being a programmer that he is, he started getting he, he he bought like a an Apple script book. And it was such a great testament to Apple script that my dad, like a C compiler engineer, one day he pulled me aside and he just said, I I I finally took a look at this Apple script language. I just thought it was gonna be so basic, but it's a real programming language. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, Yes, you get it. Like this is and that's that was a great testament to um him sort of finding a, 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 a route to respecting Apple and the Mac was through AppleScript of all things. And I didn't know how to, at that time, I didn't know how to use AppleScript at all. But this mm. must have been in, you know, 96 or something, a couple of years after AppleScript had come out. And now one of your primary products is AppleScript related, which is right. kind of fun. That's know? right. Yeah, I, I really feel like AppleScript doesn't get a fair shake. From a lot of people. I mean, I get that it's not like a traditional programming language and it's, it's, um, you know, the syntax is weird, you know, it's supposed to be more yep. natural language and, you know, making things more natural language sometimes makes them more difficult, uh, particularly for, um, traditional programmers for non-programmers. It, it may, it might make their life easier, but for people who are used to very specific language to declare a variable, um, it can make them crazy, but I understand where they were coming from. And, uh, I feel like that was one of the early attempts to bring automation to the masses. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, um, for people who aren't in programmer cultures, every language is reviled by somebody. Uh, and the, and the people who revile the language are, are usually pretty vocal about it. And, and it's funny to think about languages like PHP, JavaScript, C++, Perl, four of like the most popular languages in history are some of the most reviled languages, right? They have people have pejoratives for all of these languages. Uh and in JavaScript in particular, I think you you know most people would agree is the the most universally adopted language now. And people still ridicule it for all of its shortcomings. So sometimes I like to think, you know, um AppleScript has plenty to ridicule it for, but you know there's a like parallel universe where AppleScript took off and became so popular that it was like the language powering the web. And then it people would still be ridiculing it and and, and you know glorifying all of the things that are wrong with it, but it would still be hugely successful. So it's like, you know, it's kind of easy to beat up on AppleScript because 
not only does it have a lot of peculiarities that are different from other languages and it makes it difficult in some ways for programmers and non-programmers, but it's also not that popular. So it's sort of low stakes to to beat up on it. Yeah. But then there are people that you meet that can do amazing things with it, you know. And we still hear from automators listeners who are now learning Apple script because they're, you know, primarily working on the Mac and they want to get the most out of automation on the Mac. And I think it's a good option. I mean, so long as you're staying on the Mac on once you get on the mobile, you're not going to get anything with Apple script. But I uh, I stand by the belief that Apple is not going to remove Apple script from the Mac. I, I don't even, I, I think it would require effort on their behalf to do so. And mm-hmm. uh, as a result, it's it's in there. I, mean, I think it would take dynamite to get Apple script out of the <laughs> Mac OS at this point, and I don't think anybody's willing to blow stuff up. Yeah, so it's a perfect example of something that you can I think pretty pretty um respectably be confident will not go away and be confident will get no care. Yeah. Right? So it's like yeah. <laughs> it's it's going to age out maybe not even gracefully, right? It's just going to it's just going to go away over whatever the course of time is that it that it naturally stops being used and people move on to other things. Uh, maybe that will be shortcuts to a large extent if mm-hmm. Apple continues to invest in shortcuts. Um, you know, maybe it'll be JavaScript-based automations. But um, I agree. The um, you know the thing is, uh, some some of the best things about AppleScript actually are the ways that it imposed on and it still it still does impose on programmers who support it. Um, like in the app at the app level, it imposes a, a philosophy for organizing your data. Kind of into the kind of into the equivalent of a DOM, like in a JavaScript sense, mm-hmm. um, it, document object model. It's kind of the the high, the tree hierarchy of all the contents of an app. And AppleScript did this very early on, you know, the '90s. And um, so, what's great about that is a lot of apps that do support scripting are structured in such a way that they can be adapted to other scripting languages if something mm-hmm. else comes along. Uh, so it's kind of like the infrastructure. When you talk about AppleScript, you're talking about the language, but also the infrastructure, and especially the infrastructure. A lot of people would probably be hard pressed to find another way to organize their 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 existing apps, at least. The other thing is, of course, um, you know, shortcuts is shipped, but it shipped with AppleScript support and CLI support. So yeah. you know, mm-hmm. even though even though shortcuts may eventually be here to eat AppleScript's lunch at the moment, it's it's still you know bringing the goods. So we we have everything uh, that you would expect from an automatable application in 2022. This episode of Automators is brought to you by our friends at Text Expander. Get your team communicating faster so they can focus on what's most important. With Text Expander, your team's knowledge is at their fingertips. Get your whole team on the same page by getting information out of silos and into the hands of everyone that needs to use it. You can share your team's knowledge across departments so your team is sending a unified message to your customers and isn't spending time reinventing the wheel. Here's how it works. First, store it. Keep your company's most used emails, phrases, messaging, URLs, and more right within TextExpander. Then share it. Get your whole team access to the content they need to use every day, organize it by department, and finally, expand it. Deploy the content you need with just a few keystrokes on any device across any apps you use. It's that easy, and TextExpander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. 
I use Text Expander for all sorts of things, but particularly in the context of Teams, it's really important to actually have the same information everywhere. If something changes, this way everybody's sending the same message. There's no more, this person said I could, when somebody else said that they couldn't. It's all unified. So it boosts your productivity by saving you time and by avoiding problems. As a listener of Automators, you can get 20% off your first year. Visit textexpander.com slash automators to learn more about TextExpander. That's textexpander.com slash automators. Our thanks to TextExpander for their support of this show and Relay FM. Well, Daniel, let's let's fast forward now. Uh, you are a programmer. Uh, you, you own a company. You've got some great apps that have automation-related products. Uh, but how much do you use automation in your day-to-day work? I use automation whenever I can, and I'm always trying to expand my tool set. Uh, the most recent thing I could I could tell you about that I've started working on is actually automating. Um, I, it's been a long time on my list to get better at web screen scraping, you know, like to automate. Mm-hmm. In particular, I, like so many other people, have switched years and years ago to paperless documents and I am so frustrated by the fact that I, I I have the simultaneous compulsion to maintain a, an archive of all of my um, statements from these different companies and um, the total lack of interest or desire in logging in and clicking around and downloading them. Right. So when you ask me about like what I've been automating lately, it doesn't happen to be um, an Apple script thing, but it's really interesting uh because I've dipped my toe into screen scraping probably for probably for at least 15 years. Like I've tried to automate things in the past, you know, as far back as I can remember, sometimes using, you know, tools as rudimentary as just like the curl command line tool. Um, mm-hmm. And for folks who don't maybe know, uh, just real quickly, screen scraping just means trying to navigate to and extract data from the web without doing it manually, basically. Uh, and what I was so delighted to learn recently when I started digging back into it again is that Chrome in particular, this might be old news to you uh, both, but Chrome in particular has something called uh, headless Chrome. Mm-hmm. And it's a way, it's like a protocol and interface for interacting with the browser programmatically without it even necessarily being loaded into a window. Um, And then Google also has this other technology called Puppeteer, Mm -hmm. which is a Python package. Um, No, it's not Python. I'm sorry. It's a, I mix up my scripting languages. It's a node package. Uh, At least the interface I'm using is node, uh, JavaScript based. And it uh, it just gives you all these cool tools for automating stuff on the web. So you can say things like, open this page, wait for it to finish loading, click in the text box that has this ID, you know, whatever, login, enter the text, Daniel, you know, submit the form, and then, you know, auto- automate putting everything in to log into a site. I've just scratched the surface, so the only reason I mention it is because it's so fresh in my memory, but, um, it's a really, it's a really good example. I feel like Apple script shortcuts, even, you know, shell scripts on the Mac, they give us the power to automate so much in the context of our local work environment, our desktop. And that's so important. It's so powerful, but I have felt frustrated by the sort of boundary of the web for a long time. 
like I don't feel I often don't feel like I can just quickly throw a script together to automate something on the web. And I feel like maybe I'm kind of at the um at the door at the doorstep of being able to do that with this with this new technology. Well, just imagine somebody out there um, like me who's not a professional programmer and hmm. all the ways we struggle with getting data out of the web. Because I can tell you, I've written some real janky keyboard microscripts <laughs> and Alfred workflows. And I, I've done some really crazy stuff over the years to try and automation. I, I call it like scraping my data out of a website because it, they yep. just make it so hard. So um, this is actually very encouraging to me because I, I wasn't aware that there was a headless version of Chrome. Um, yeah. So, so how do you get started? If someone out there is listening and you've got their interest, how do you get started uh, figuring that out? Let me see if I can pull up my um, my notes for this because I have a couple good links, I think. One resource I'll recommend while Daniel's just looking for his notes there is Selenium. Um, Selenium is designed to be a testing tool for developers of web applications where the idea is it will just go and do the same series of actions again and again. And when something bro- breaks, it'll go, hey, it's broken over here um, without you needing to write, you know, thousands of lines of code. Um, and it's 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 quite popular for this sort of thing as well, because it's it's got it's uh, got a Python uh, library. Um, that you can use, um, and it, it's uh, fairly well documented, or very well documented actually, because people use this for testing. Um, but that's obviously using Python rather than uh, JavaScript, which uh, Daniel right. must be using with Puppeteer. Yeah. So the thing with Puppeteer, the reason I so years ago, whenever I had tried this, I tried to find like at the at the moment, like whatever the latest and greatest was, and that definitely included things like Selenium. Mm-hmm. Uh, included for many years these packages that. People may recognize the name of like Phantom JS, mm-hmm. um, and these were all designed to allow you to um, to run various web, uh, you know, framework. You know, not not frameworks like the actual browser, you know, APIs. Um, what seems to be unique about headless Chrome and Puppeteer is this emphasis on the headless aspect, so that you can really come up with more efficient kind of standalone scripts and stuff that run without even like the artifact of seeing Chrome or any other browser open. And Selenium might've provided that too. I can't recall. Um, But there's two things I want to mention while I I have everybody thinking about this. The first is, um, let's see, Puppeteer itself, you can find, I think you can just Google it, because it's actually one of the other. So, so the encouraging things about this are, and I'll say, like, I'm not a huge Chrome fan personally. I don't use Chrome. I use Safari all the time. Uh, so I'm kind of like the last person you'd expect to go running to Chrome. But as soon as I see that there's like this screen scraping technology that is basically endorsed and sponsored by Google, mm-hmm. and there's a framework for for automating it called Puppeteer, which is also by Google, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to make, this is like you don't get fired for hiring IBM. You know, it's like this yeah. is, this is, um, yeah, I, just because I don't particularly use Chrome doesn't mean I won't lean on it to solve this problem for me. Right. Uh, so basically, um, if you Google for Puppeteer, you will find it. We can. Uh, I've put a link in the show notes in. already. Okay. Yeah. So the only other thing I want to mention is 
it took me a little while because I, I got it going. And so one of the cool things about Puppeteer and Headless Chrome is you can run it not headless while you're debugging. And right. so you can like bring up the browser and see what it's doing and try to figure out how to change it. And um, I was having a lot of bad luck because my I was trying to get it to log into my bank. Right. And it wasn't working. And then so I discovered that Puppeteer also supports plugins. And there's one called... Uh, plugin. It's called the Puppeteer Stealth plugin, <laughs> and it basically just convinces whatever website you're trying to automate that it's not being automated, um, which is a great step too. Mm-hmm. And so, as soon as I installed this plugin and used it instead of the like baseline Puppeteer, I was totally able to log into my bank and do all kinds of cool things. Yeah, and that's the challenge for an automator, right? Because these website uh, hosts are really trying to avoid people scraping data for bad reasons. And that, you know, that's something we don't want to have happen. We don't want um, hackers to go and pull our data off. I mean, a bank website is an extreme example, but even just like a shopping website or a forum where you like to go and participate, you don't want them scraping all your data out of there. Right. But as a user, it's our data. I mean, I mean, I don't want to get into the, arguments about whether it's still our data once we put it on the internet. But I mean, we, we put it there. It's stuff that relates to us. And in general, the internet um, websites are not very good at saying, Oh, Hey, it's you Sparky. And this is your bank information. Just push this one button and we'll give you everything you need out of the website. They, they don't right. give you that, you know? And um, I wish, you know, since they don't, we have to figure a way around it. That's right. And, and I would be happy to use a more secure like API or something that they want to provide. But yeah, it's like, I almost feel like, you know, there's this strong like right to repair movement for products. And I feel like there should be like a right to API for (laughs) your, your data. You know, there's all this great stuff. um, You know, the, the, the widely like sort of lamented, what is it? The GDPR. Yeah. Yeah. The widely lamented policies from that, nonetheless brought us some great like data portability mm-hmm. changes um and i i would like to see some similar something similar that just made all these big companies that can afford to do it give us an api for our data but in the absence of that this is really something fun to look into so i guess i just say it kind of as like this is what i'm jazzed about at the moment mm-hmm. And um, if anyone out there like me has been waiting around wondering, like, how the heck do I scrape web pages in 2022? I'm pretty confident this is one of the best approaches. Yes, absolutely. Though, if you live in the UK, then um, banks have to adhere to um, British uh, legislation, which means that um, if they're over a certain size, they have to integrate with a protocol called open banking, which means that they have to have an API that can be accessed by um, authorized. um, It's it's not just something where anybody can sign up, but uh, you know, if you go through the vetting process, you can you can then sign up to get access and you know authenticate yourself and get data out of your bank. Um, you know, which is pretty cool. So, you know, maybe at some point that will uh, spread out. Yeah, There's a similar piece so. of legislation in Europe, though it doesn't explicitly say open banking. It, it allows people to use a couple of different um, APIs. But uh, it's it's pretty good that data portability is becoming more of a thing. And I'm very amused by Puppeteer Stealth because for years, and I still have it now, ICAP, 
is one of my favorite applications that I keep installed on my iPad and my iPhone and I very rarely use. But what I do when I'm using it is I've set it so that the browser profile is Firefox on Windows. Uh, because this yeah. nearly always gets around the, oh, we've detected you're using an iPad, so we're going to give you a really janky mobile interface that's missing 80% of the options that you oh, need. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> because that that's always good fun. Though I did have one with um, something the other day. I was trying to cancel a subscription, and uh, I tried loading it in the browser on my Mac. It didn't work. I tried the app on my iPhone. It didn't work. And then I eventually reali- realized I haven't tried the browser on my iPhone, and the cancel button only appeared in the browser on my iPhone. Um, which was not fun, but I reported it to them and reminded them that, you know, they're they're not legally allowed to do that. They have to have the cancel <laughs> button show up everywhere. And uh, I got an apologetic email and a voucher for a service that I canceled back. Oh, there right. There you go. <laughs> well, it, it, it's funny because iCab is the app. It's not pretty. It's not user-friendly. But man, it can pretend to be anything on your iPad. And that, that's like you keep it for that reason. Yep, exactly. That's exactly. cool. It does what you need when you need it. So have you had success, Daniel, with this uh, experimentation? So far, I haven't gotten too deep into it because I keep getting pulled off onto something else. But it was it got me far enough through like in the years past when I when I try it, I'd run into something like I couldn't figure out how to fake the the, you know, the stealth thing well enough. Or I you know, when you're first starting out scraping, a lot of things will direct you to using static scraping, which means that. It just loads the web page. Like there's a very popular Python library called Beautiful Soup, which is mm-hmm. great for like taking apart the contents of a web page. But it doesn't do anything to interact with the web page dynamically through its like JavaScript interfaces. And as anybody listening can probably imagine, that's increasingly important for most websites. So you can't just like it used to be screen scraping meant find the right URL, load it, and process the, the data. And yeah. in, in some cases, that still works. Uh, and, and, and when it does, that can be a much faster, easier way to quote-unquote scrape uh, data. But a lot of the time now, you need to go through a little dance with the web page to make mm-hmm. it think you're really a user browsing it. And so that's where this new stuff comes in. Yes, yeah. Uh, I have to say, though, it is quite amazing what apps are capable of doing. Um, one one that springs to mind is Transloader, um, which is a great iOS and macOS application. The idea being you send it a URL and say, hey, go download this on my Mac, but not the Mac that I'm currently on, that Mac oh, over there, uh-huh. or uh-huh. this Mac and that Mac, or whatever it is. And you can do it from your phone, but you can pre-authenticate yourself so it can keep your cookies and everything so mm-hmm. that it can then download stuff w- using your authentication credentials which, you know, it wouldn't be able to do otherwise because it's just going to hit the URL and the URL is going to go, no, I don't know you. But if you've pre-logged in, then it, it as long as the cookies don't expire, it can remember that. And it's amazing how web scraping has snuck into our lives, even in ways that people aren't aware of. Yeah, I haven't seen this app, but I'm looking at the App Store page right now and it looks like something I should check out because that's a great example. Like part of this whole puzzle is, you know, storing all your credentials and cookies and stuff. Um, yeah. It sounds like that's, that's, this app has solved that aspect of the puzzle. Yes. It's made by the creator of Yoink. Um, and uh, so he's, he's got a couple of good apps, um, including Backlog, which is a great app for developers. This episode of the Automators podcast is brought to you by Hunter Douglas. Just go to hunterdouglas.com slash automators to start automating your home and take advantage of some generous rebate savings opportunities. We all want to live well, at ease, in comfort and style, and Hunter Douglas can help you do just that with their innovative window shade designs. 
gorgeous fabrics, and control systems so advanced they can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. We're automators, and Hunter Douglas is there for you. Hunter Douglas's shades diffuse harsh sunlight, instead casting a beautiful glow across the room. With their adaptability, you can enjoy the view outside a window without needing to give up your privacy, and you can bring this all together with Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology. This ensures that your shades will automatically reposition for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation morning, noon, and night. The great thing about Hunter Douglas is you don't have to compromise. You can get the best in window products and shades, plus the best in automation. They're putting it all together for you so you can be automated and have beautiful window treatments. Hunter Douglas shades are compatible with all your favorite home automation systems, Amazon Alexa, Apple HomeKit, Google Assistant, IFTTT, and more. Look, you're listening to automators. You want to automate your home, and this stuff makes it super easy. You can integrate your shades with your other products in your home using Apple HomeKit. And you can get that control with Hunter Douglas. So you can live beautifully with Hunter Douglas, enjoying greater convenience, enhanced style, and increased comfort in your home throughout the day. And right now, for a limited time, you can take advantage of generous rebate savings opportunities on select styles. To do that, go to hunterdouglas.com automators. That's H-U-N-T-E-R-D-O-U-G-L-A-S dot com slash automators. And our thanks to Hunter Douglas for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. So, Daniel, obviously you're you're having fun with, you know, um, some some JavaScript there with um, Node and Puppeteer and, and Headless Chrome and so on. But you also mentioned before JavaScript. And obviously, you know, nowadays... It, for starters, it's not the 1990s anymore. It's the 2020s. Um, and you've got an app called FastScripts. Um, you know, what are you feeling about AppleScript at the moment? Is it going to be replaced by JavaScript for automation um, on macOS? Or is that as flaky as my personal experience tells me it is? Um, and, you know, where do you think this is going right now? Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny. If I dig into my archives, I have some old blog post probably from 10 plus years ago strongly urging Apple to switch to JavaScript for <laughs> automation on the Mac. And mm-hmm. it wasn't in the context, if I recall correctly, it wasn't in the context of like what they ended up doing, which is the JavaScript OSA interface to basically the same infrastructure as um, AppleScript. Uh, I just thought I could see the writing on the wall at that time. Like it was already, Apple was already becoming a, like an industry leader in JavaScript by way of, of WebKit. Um and it just seemed like that was the place they should focus their their efforts. Um, and they have really focused their efforts on JavaScript in the context of WebKit and not really anywhere else that I can think of. Um, and I mean, except, you know, so the thing is, as it relates to AppleScript, in my opinion, the JavaScript OSA, the JavaScript for automation, as they call it, it just shouldn't be there. Like, it's just, I know some people use it and apologies if, if you use it and like it more power to you, but it is not a game changer in any way. And in my opinion, Mm -hmm. it ends up revealing more like impedance mismatch between the language and the Apple script infrastructure. And it's just, I find it really tedious to write myself. I wouldn't write a script in JavaScript for automation, um, but it's there and, um, it, the state of things now, as we, uh, you know, Apple script is sort of 
as most people know, it's just not being invested in. And I don't think we can look forward to it being invested in. Nonetheless, in the context of fast scripts, it's, you know, and I guess I, guess I should clarify, fast scripts is not technically um, an Apple script tool. It, it can run almost anything, almost any script on your Mac. Mm. Um, however, it has certain sort of integrations with the way it runs Apple script that make it particularly nice for running Apple scripts to, to many people. Um, so it's kind of simultaneously like a general purpose automation, um, you know, launcher tool and a Apple script power user tool. Um, you know, this, I know (laughs) I'm explaining to folks who are listening. Um, and so I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know where Apple script is going, but, but I guess where I was getting at is where, whatever the case may be, as things stand now, Apple script is still the best thing going for for automating many things on your Mac. Yeah. And um, so that's my incentive is is personal personal selfishness to want the best possible Apple script running app I can I can make for myself and then it turns out a bunch of other people in the world who are still steeped in Apple script really like using fast scripts. Yes. Yeah. I didn't realize actually until I think it was just last week that I can use it to run other scripts. Like it never occurred to me that I could do that. Um, and so now um, I've, I've got a bunch of bash scripts that I'd written to do various things at work. They're just all sitting in my menu bar on my work machine. It's like, oh, nice. great. Yeah. Like, thanks. I It never occurred <laughs> to me, like literally never occurred to me until about last week when I was poking around. Go, I wonder if I can write an Apple script to run the bash script. And it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> hang on a second. I'm overcomplicating things here. Um, but yeah, it, it is amazing to me in particular, you know, how, how powerful, um, you know, Apple script is in, in terms of everything else. And I think you're right because like JavaScript expects you to be working with objects and has JavaScript object notation, JSON, um, and so on. So a lot of people think of it and use it like that. And as a web developer, I very definitely do. And it is a mismatch, you know, when you're working with, you know, something that's you know from the operating system it isn't just an object in the sense that you might think of it and so manipulating it the same way that you would do elsewhere is you know it's not impossible it's just awkward um yeah in, in some ways um and i find that you know actually having the right language like it's the right tool for the right job right you know just because you can use a hammer to drive in a screw doesn't mean that it's a good answer um and right. it's it's one of those things where you know it it if it flows better with apple script and i and oddly enough you know i i write a lot of javascript day to day um but um you know if you write the same script in apple script and you and in in javascript object notation uh javascript uh for automation you'll often find the Apple script ones faster. Uh, sometimes by a very significant amount, which is just very weird um, and entertaining. And also sometimes the Apple script one works and the JavaScript one doesn't. And my conclusion is oh, it's not hooked up to the same Apple events quite perfectly. Um, and so something just misses somewhere. Um, so I, I tend to fall back to Apple script rather than reaching for JavaScript there. Well, you know, uh, one possible explanation for that is the neglect that Apple script has had uh, think about it it was invented and implemented to run on 1990s Macs mm-hmm. so it's optimized for you know parsing all of the language running all the commands to be fast in on a 1990s Mac and you know how it is now you like run some 
old 1990s software on a current Mac, it's going to blaze. And yep. it's like, and whereas with the JavaScript for automation stuff, they have to load in like the whole infrastructure of a JavaScript engine that can power the web. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know, that's kind of an interesting example where it's like, well, it, it's missing a lot of stuff, but what it has, it can do sometimes quite quickly. Well, I mean, I think also with AppleScript, there was a honeymoon period where there were a group of extremely smart people at Apple working actively on making AppleScript really awesome. And while Apple kind of the bloom fell off the rose for Apple, that work was done. I'm not sure there was ever a honeymoon period for implementation of JavaScript on the Mac. No, no, no. It's You're absolutely right. And it feels, that's why it just feels so tacked on to me that I think it would be, it would be better if it wasn't there in many respects. Yeah, that is something that can often be said about many solutions. You know, you see uh, a company is done. Oh, yeah. So like you you want to be able to download all the data. Great. Um, so we're going to give you a 3000 megabyte zip file. Um, and we've given you every single uh, piece of information that we've got about you rendered as a PNG. It's very high resolution, but it's all rendered as a PNG. It's like, great, thanks. You know, technically compliant, but not actually being useful. You may as well have not bothered. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes uh, JavaScript uh, for automation can can feel like that. I do think that we've, we've lost the thread a little bit. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so you've made this app fast scripts, and there are other ways to launch Apple scripts on your Mac. But but tell us, why does fast scripts exist? Well, FastScripts goes back to a time before there were many other um, ways to run scripts, for one thing. Um, when I wrote it, it was around the turn of the century. Uh, so um, it's been a while. And uh, I wrote it actually early in the Mac OS X days as I was missing the functionality from an OS 9, an earlier app called, I think it was called OSA Menu. And it was basically started as a, a perfect copy of that. Just like the idea would be there would be an icon in the menu bar. It would list your scripts and you would select them and run them. And the motivation was, and the reason it's called fast scripts, is because at that time, Apple and scripting automation people in general were all focused on like long workflows. Like the main use case for scripts was to write something that you could point at your pile of like a hundred photos and, you know, a thousand pages of manuscript and have it like typeset it or something. And it would take an hour or two and it would be done. It would be great. It would be automated. But those were all, those types of tasks were all oriented around like opening a script in script editor and, and manually invoking it with a, with a mouse or something. And my idea at the time, at the very first version of fast scripts didn't support keyboard shortcuts or anything. It was just the icon in the menu bar, but the idea was to be able to run scripts that it wouldn't be worth opening up script editor, opening the script, and, and clicking the play button on the script editor. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, examples are things like I have scripts that run, I run in Safari to go to all like the favorite URLs I like to go to. Um, I would never open up script editor to go put like a open New York Times news, you know, script and run it. Um, so the idea was fast. I wanted the scripts to be both fast in their availability and fast in their execution. So the very first, and that was the other thing is um, 
with Apple Script, with the script editor at that time, every time you ran a script, I think it would load the whole script into memory and then run it. And so there was always a little lag. And so the first version of Fast Scripts traded um, the cost of memory for speed by loading every script into memory ahead of time. And so it would all be there ready to run so that when you invoked the script, it would be instant. And that was unheard of at the time. Uh, so it was kind of scratching my own itch, but then slowly but surely people were like, wow, there's a type of script that I can't really run meaningfully in any other context but this. Mm -hmm. So anyway, over time, the sort of primary value of the app has changed. And it's been interesting for me because, for instance, in the most recent version, uh, FastScripts 3, which was just released a few months ago, um, it, uh, I think it's a, th a few months ago. I'm sort of spacey as everybody else is in pandemic thinking. Yeah. Um, that, one of the things I had to do was abandon my like FastScripts 1.0 idea that scripts should be loaded into memory. Um, and it turned out it didn't matter because computers are fast now. <laughs> and so <Yeah. laughs> um, not only in FastScripts 3, not only are scripts not preloaded into memory, FastScripts 3 also adds all these new um, efficiencies around being able to run multiple scripts at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and that involves this whole system of me spawning a separate application process for every script that you run. And it sounds really complicated and uh, inefficient, but it's super efficient and it's super fast. And it's great because it defies every implementation detail of the first version of fast scripts, but it's still fulfills all of the user expectations. Yes. Yeah, that is <laughs> one of the things where I was just thinking like, pooh, yeah, like I think my Mac Studio that's sitting here, like I didn't even go all out on the spec. I'm pretty certain it can it can run vast majority of Apple scripts insanely quickly, which is a great thing. Um, speaking of updates that you've done recently, one of the ones that I loved, um, and of course this went everywhere around uh, the nerd circle on the internet. Um, I know John Gruber um, posted about it. I'm pretty certain Dr. Drang posted about this. You've streamlined regular expressions in AppleScript. Um, <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> yeah, thank that's you. The, that's the nerdiest <laughs> thing I've done uh, for the scripting community in a long time. Uh, it's, 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 it's funny because I had all these priorities on my list of things to do for fast scripts that were things like I just mentioned, things like you know running multiple scripts at a time and spawning out to different processes, uh, supporting progress feedback through the standard uh, progress mechanism. Um, these things I got into fast scripts three, and then I was like, breathe a sigh of relief because now like all the stuff that's been nagging at me that I wanted to do for ten years or so. I got done in Fast Scripts 3. And now yeah. I can just focus on things that I think are sort of, it's kind of like I built the house and now I can put up the nice curtains, you know? It's yeah. like, um, okay, the, the the house is waterproof. All of the doors and latches work. Now let's make this place feel nice. And mm -hmm. the regular expression support is kind of the first, and I hope a long line of scripting affordances for, for the app. So, for anybody out there who uses AppleScript, the idea is basically FastScripts is a launcher tool, but it also supports its own scripting commands that you can easily mm -hmm. use and access, even if you're not running the script from from FastScripts. But it's kind of yeah. like a um, it kind of includes its own scripting additions, and this uh, regular expression 
thing that Rose is alluding to is um, basically a way to to process text in your Apple scripts without the usual mechanism for using regular expressions was to you know dispatch out to a shell script or to use a third party um, script library or to you know auto- automate with BB Edit or something like that. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So what you can do now is inside your Apple script, wherever you are, where you need to split some text up, you can just continue where you are and say, tell application file scripts, do whatever the magic is that you need to do, and then end tell. And then, you know, you're back in the regular script and you've just, you know, had had a very quick conversation with file scripts and it's done some magic. And it's, yeah, and, yeah and, used it a and couple w- of times. I love it. <laughs> that's great. I'm glad to hear it. And I want to emphasize for anybody listening that that is a completely free feature of the app. And one of the things I want to do with FastScripts and I've wanted to do since the beginning is to have it be as a baseline product, a better way, basically a better version of Apple's script menu, mm-hmm. but that also does something, does, does, does that job better and then also offers extra things for free. And then premium features that you get paying uh, a little bit more. So that I encourage people if they're interested in that just consider downloading and using FastScripts for free. Don't even worry about whether you might want to pay for it someday cuz you know yeah, part of that for me is I hope someday you do pay for it. But in the meantime, I just have empathy for scripters and I would like everybody out there who can see the value in a streamlined script menu to use mm-hmm. it and enjoy it. Yes. Yes. And it, it is really great, you know, that, you know, you're one of the many people making tools that make the, the scripting solutions and the automation solutions that we already use even better. Um, and it's lovely to see um, FastScripts doing this from both sides, you know, both both the executing as well as the, the you know, being involved inside of the execution. Right. Um, as, so you get, you know, all of the advantages, which is even better. Yeah, and I'll just mention one other thing about the whole philosophy of fast scripts is um, basically since the beginning, whenever I notice something annoying about the process of running a script, I think, how can I make that better? Mm-hmm. And so there's little things fast scripts does that you might not notice unless it wasn't doing them. Uh, and it includes things like there's a priority in fast scripts that if your script brings up like a, a prompt or a panel, um, then that takes attention away from the app you were in. Now, right. I'm pretty sure it's the, still the case that in every other way of running, or at least most other ways of running scripts, that after you're done dismissing the panel, now you're suddenly like in some kind of weird uh, limbo where you're not really focused on the the old app anymore. Yeah, And that's what, one example of many things where I try to make the process of running the script nicer. And so it will actually remember what app you were in and put you back into it after you're done. And that's what I was going to ask earlier, because I feel like although FastScript started out to, you know, run a publishing workflow in the 90s, you know, it really has evolved a lot. And like you keep finding all of these rough edges around automation on the Mac and then FastScript comes in with a solution, whether it be a regular expression tool or just a way to get your scripts running faster. And, And to me, it's not the menu bar, man. It's the keyboard shortcuts. I love that so yeah, much, right. you know. Yeah, I mean, that's funny, too, because that's like uh, Rose was saying earlier, like she hadn't noticed that you can run non-Apple scripts. And I was thinking to myself, you know, the, 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 it's all on me. But the main thing I've done wrong with fast scripts over all these years, from the beginning, I made it for people who basically I knew 
already knew what they wanted. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, and so I never had to, I never felt like I had to explain what fast scripts can do. And the the negative of that is that I've been catching up ever since. And there's all these things in it where I've added things over the years to accommodate something that like most people at the time just sort of expected it would do. And then as time goes on, it's just this accumulating mass of features and functionality that aren't all totally well documented and, you know, not, not promoted or marketed. So um, that's something I'll work on, but it is kind of like one of these apps that is what I'm, one thing I'm proud of, of it for is it, is it can be exceedingly simple on the surface while having depth uh, if you, if you dig into it and look for it. I would like to just make a note in your defense. I've been using it to run Python scripts, so I'm not quite sure why it didn't occur to me that I could run a bash script. Um, (laughs) Uh I think it's just one of those things where my brain was like, well, obviously this is completely different and therefore that's not going to work. So I'm not even going to try. Um, And then I was looking at it the other day and was like, I bet this is going to work. And I I I popped it in there. Uh-huh. Voila, it works. Surprise. Um, so yeah, um, it was just one of those things where it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm I missed trying the obvious. And I think this is something where as well, some people who don't know what they like, who don't necessarily know that that's the thing, would just try putting all the scripts in there and seeing what happens. Um yeah. and you know, and so they would just have solved that problem by not even thinking about it. And instead I overthought it, which complicated things because that's me. And I'm yeah, special. try try throwing <laughs> random things in there because probably the the least uh expected quote unquote script you can throw in there is any document. If you just yeah. throw like a, a file in there, you could throw like a pages document in there and you could assign it to a keyboard shortcut if you want to. And um It'll open it. Uh, so, you know, it kind of tries to deal with everything as a script first. And then if it can't, it deals with it as an app or as a document. Uh, mm-hmm. So it just opens things in that yeah. sense. It's like like so many other launchers in that way. But um, it's un- unlike something like LaunchBar, it's not really oriented around general purpose launching. It's oriented around launching things that you organize to be in, in the scripts folder. While I'm thinking about it, do you discourage people from using sim links to put scripts in there um because i've got scripts that are stored for various reasons inside of yeah. you know this git repo or that git repo and i don't necessarily want to you know put them all in you know the library scripts folder is that something you recommend or discourage or is it just fine it it, it should be just fine it's mm-hmm. in, it's funny in particular sim links were a tricky challenge for me that i don't think i, I quite quite got right until FastScripts 3. Mm-hmm. And I hope it's right now and let me know if you run into problems. But um, I did for many, many, many years support aliases without supporting symlinks. So distinction there that, mm-hmm. you know, an alias is a file that can be resolved to a target, whereas a symlink is at the file system level. Um, but yeah, it should work. And I encourage that and it's sort of all part of a shortcoming of fast scripts that it's not easier to configure it to run things outside of the scripts folder. But um, that's probably something on the list for the future. But yeah, in the meantime, uh, that is actually a really great way is just to either drag aliases in mm-hmm. or to make symlinks to folders or to specific scripts that are outside the. the yeah, uh, and that can be that can be really useful in terms of the. Um, this is kind of getting into deep fast scripts feature territory, but one of the great things about fast scripts is you can have app specific scripts that are 
determined just by where they are in your scripts hierarchy in in the application subfolder of your scripts hierarchy. Um, you can put app specific scripts, and sometimes you want to have the same script in multiple apps, and so that uh, using the symlinks or aliases is another good trick there. Yes. I, for some reason, I don't think I ever looked at the documentation to see that aliases were supported. And that's a lot easier because you just right click and find her and make aliases right there. I right. years ago installed um, some utilities from GeneCloud, the makers of delivery. Um, and they, they have um, a, a service for making sim links to things, um, which I've used a lot over the years. Obviously, you know, you can do it in a number of ways. Um, but of course, an alias is really easy. So that's yeah perfect that may even be better in some ways for what i'm doing hopefully whatever you try works so i'm glad that i now support I mean, I've both, yet of, to run both into of them problems yeah. <laughs> outside of my yeah. brain um all the problems i've run into so far have basically been my brain going i don't know what to do here um i'm just gonna not do it because i don't think that's gonna work and uh turns out when i actually get around to trying it it does work so it's quite impressive i have to say daniel can I wanted to ask you, because you've got another app that's not an automation-focused app, but an app that benefits from automation integration, and that's MarsEdit. Uh, MarsEdit yeah. is an excellent blogging tool. In fact, I recently switched to uh, WordPress, and hooray, I'm able to use MarsEdit again. And it's so Yay. nice. You know, having yeah. like a native app on my Mac, I can write on and not worry about you know the web screwing me over. Um Right. Yeah, so, but but you have like because you you come to this with a kind of an automator's mindset, you have brought automation to Mars Edit. Can you kind of share for the audience some of the stuff you you're doing in Mars Edit? Yeah. Well, so Mars Edit um, automation is largely oriented around um, you know editing the contents of a of, of a particular post or or putting together a post. Yeah. So um, the ways I use it personally is like speaking of podcasts um i have like a script that puts together a new episode post for for my podcast um and it's you know it just sort of like prompts me for the title and the excerpt and the list of links and all that and then it puts it together and it's just a way of it's kind of like an it's actually like kind of filling the shortcoming of there being like a stationary tool for um particular post formats but mm -hmm. um that's one example of something i use it for um i also use it for automating creating new blog posts for all of my products themselves the apps like when i have a new version of fast scripts or mars edit i have a script in for each of those that asks me what version it is and what the release notes are um and that just automatically generates a new blog post um document that i can then send to the blog uh, that's one thing, you know, some people, I will say some people look at Mars edit and they think, great, this thing's automatable. I'm going to use it to migrate my whole blog from like, let's say blogger to WordPress. Mm -hmm. And I usually discourage that. And in, in fact, I don't have great support for that in part because Mars edit is limited in, um, the access it has to most blogging systems. You know, not in ways that prevent you from doing a great job writing and publishing posts, but in ways that, you know, um, do limit how well you can perfectly clone an existing blog. So right. I usually encourage people to use other techniques, like most blog systems have an export feature, you know, mm -hmm. data data export. Um, but, you know, all kinds of things like that, little nice um, things like um, 
I have little uh, scripts to um, put in links to to things that like uh, with a with a referral code in them. Like you know, paste a link into this blog post with a referral code from Amazon or whatever. Um, and those are the kinds of things that again, it's easy for me to add as I use the app and just get annoyed by things. Uh, so I have a long list of things I'd like to add still to Mars Edit automation wise, but. Um, that's that, that kind of stuff. And for example, I recently added support for setting the contents of, uh, one of the things you can do in Mars Edit is you can configure your custom fields if you have those in mm-hmm. WordPress. And so one ex- expansion to the automation I recently added lets you set the values of the custom fields, which was great because I do all my sponsorships on my blog posts, uh, for, for my podcast, um, using custom fields and I used to have to do all that manually and now I can just run a script that says like okay put the put the te- you know so happens text expander sometimes sponsors my podcast so coincidence there but you know I can run a script that says put the text expander details into this blog post yeah things like that are great have you explored um shortcuts with it i mean is that something you're interested in with Mars Edit, yeah, it's on my list. Um, it's actually on my list with Fast Scripts too. Uh, I really think you know, getting kind of getting back to Fast Scripts and like what's up with Apple Script and shortcuts. I think as time goes forward, I'm going to be thinking increasingly like not what can I do for Apple Script authors, but what can I do for anybody who's automating something on the Mac? You know. Mm-hmm. So I have ideas along those lines. The um, Apple's infrastructure so far doesn't let you do a ton as far as running shortcuts goes. You're pretty much limited to just like ask the shortcut system to run a shortcut by name. Uh, So it's kind of like automating the equivalent of saying like, hey, dingus, run this. Um, But I think there's a lot of things I can do to expose the similar, you know, the the kinds of things I mentioned Scriptable things like another thing Fast Scripts has built in is this kind of heads up display message display scripting command that lets you kind of do a lighter weight feedback, like display a message in the corner with with, you know, a self dismissing if you want, like streamlined message is supposed to like an alert you have to dismiss or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something I plan to expose via shortcuts to anybody who so so that you don't have to write a script necessarily to be able to take advantage of that and mars edit of course is perfect um for it should be you know exposed to the shortcut system for the like so many other shortcuts that just work with text and images yeah if you could use it as part of the a workflow that gets you to the point of a blog post that's ready to publish i think that would be really useful Yes, I can imagine that would be really useful. Um, I look forward to uh, potentially a future where you, you're crazy enough to start supporting uh, text-based uh, CMS. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I use Jekyll. Um, the number of custom fields possible with that is just, well, I mean, it's literally limitless. Because literally, yeah. It's a, it's a text file. You can put anything in there. Um, so <laughs> maybe that one I, will be on I, the back burner for think, a while. Uh, I don't think you need to, I don't think... You should be excited about that being a forthcoming feature, but I also don't no. think you need to feel hopeless about it. <laughs> no, it's definitely no. on my list. Um, it's funny because years and years and years ago, uh, Mars Edit did support a text-based system called Blossom. You, know, you mm-hmm. might remember that. Um, but it basically ran up against 
you know, I had other other priorities. I needed to support things for Blogger and WordPress and Tumblr and all these other services. And I fell by the wayside. And it's been on my mind. I want to get back to it at some point. And you will be on my beta list when that happens. Oh, absolutely. Sign me up. I'm, I'm willing to break anything. Um, I'll hopefully <laughs> just provide actually useful bug reports. Um, but it, it is, you know, amazing how the right tool can really make things a lot easier. And also just adding even more automation support can be really good. Uh, one of the things that springs to mind, of course, is um, Rogue Amoeba recently added shortcut support and um, a new scripting support with custom uh, JavaScript, I believe it was, uh, for uh, Audio Hijack. Yeah. Um, obviously, Omni Group have got custom JavaScript drafts, um, has got custom JavaScript. If you get nerdy, you can write Obsidian plugins. Do you think maybe there's a future of a custom JavaScript automation inside of Mars Edit? Or are you just going to stick with uh, Apple Script and shortcuts for now as you've already got a pretty long to-do list? <laughs> yeah, well, again, it's probably not imminent or anything. But one of the reasons, I think, for example, in the Omni case, they were strongly motivated to do that in part because Apple didn't have an uh, automation solution for iOS and they wanted to offer something cross-platform, if, if I have my memory of that right. Uh, and that's, a, that's an issue I'm going to face if and when I, um, for instance, bring Mars Edit to iOS, mm-hmm. then I'm going to have to look at the whole automation situation afresh. Yeah. Um, and hopefully some of that will be addressed by shortcuts. Though The cross-platform nature of shortcuts as of the most recent macOS is very welcome and it's encouraging for you know a future where we can look forward to cross-platform solutions for many apps. Um, but yeah, the JavaScript approach, whenever I hear about, I just I just listened recently to the the recent the talk show with John Gruber and Paul Kafasis. Um, and I was, as I was listening to it, I was like, you know what, maybe I should have a, a JavaScript <laughs> interface. Cause it does make sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, it would be, like you said, it's just one item on my exceedingly long list of things to do. However, the, con- you know, continued automation of my life does continue to surprise me how many of those things I eventually get done. Yes. Yes. It's always amazing how, how much automation and scripting sneak in, even when we're not aware of it. This episode of Automators is brought to you by DevonThink, the flagship product from Devon Technologies. DevonThink is the most professional document and information management application for the Mac. It's the one place for storing all of your documents, snippets, or bookmarks, and working with them. The integrated AI insists you with filing and searching, while the extensive search language with advanced Boolean operators means you're never looking for something and not finding it. DevonThink features a flexible sync system that supports many cloud services or lets you synchronize over the local network too, with everything securely encrypted. That gives you the choice for however syncing works best for you. It's got smart rules and flexible reminders that let you automate all parts of your workflow and delegate boring, repeating tasks so that your system handles it. Let DevonThink automatically organize your data with rules you define. DevonThink's AppleScript dictionary is one of the largest on the Mac. There's no part of DevonThink that can't be automated. Extend DevonThink's functionality with your own commands by adding them to a scripts menu. Even templates can have scripts inside, and you can set up new documents with data from placeholders or insert it by your own AppleScript code. And of course, there's so much more, from an iOS companion app to email archiving, scanning, or even an embedded web server of sharing data securely with your team. Honestly, it's hard to pick which feature stands out as the most useful for DevonThink, because I use so much of it all the time, like the batch processing for, you know, managing a whole group of files that I've just decided that I need to import and organize. So simple. 
You should use DevonThink if you've got documents. You need to manage them, store them, and have them organized in the same consistent way in various places. And have a system that, let's face it, has got your back when you and your personal filing mess up. You can get 10% off of DevonThink 3 or upgrade to it right now. Just go to devontechnologies.com slash automators. That's devontechnologies.com slash automators for 10% off. Our thanks to Devon Technologies for their support of the show and all of Freely FM. So, Daniel, you have, um, we've been talking through the show today. We I feel like we've gone kind of through a little history, kind of getting started with automation, uh, Apple Script, JavaScript. And then uh, at the end of the last segment, we started to dip our toes into some of the developers starting to actively add shortcut support. And there definitely feels to me like an evolution of automation. And uh, last year at WWDC, I believe it was Craig Federighi who said that, you know, shortcuts on the Mac was one more step in their overall automation plan. And to me, that was like kind of shocking that they have a plan for automation because (laughs) it just seemed like they really gave up on automation a few years ago. And I mean, to me, the turning point was when Sal uh, Segoyan left the company. I'm like, well, I guess they just don't care about this anymore. But now suddenly it does seem like there's a plan What's your insight on that? Where do you think this is all heading? I don't know. I and I, I might have more. Um, I might have more to predict if I had dug more into shortcuts myself. So far, I've kind of been like among the many users who is intrigued by it, but then I start using it on the Mac in particular and run into something or other that just sort of takes the wind out of my sails. Uh, so I've mm. I've looked at it enough to be like excited about it and where it's going. Um, I don't know if, for example, the future that Apple has in mind would include um, more like, like I could imagine there being like um, a nesting system for shortcuts. They they already have like the ability to run a shortcut, but um, from another shortcut, but you know, like uh, if, if you can think back, has either of you ever used the, um, Quartz Composer that Apple used to. I vaguely remember playing with this a few times. Yeah, Yeah. it was very much a kind of general purpose scripted visual scripting tool for graphics. Um, And it had no, you know, nodes kind of like Audio Hijack and you'd connect them together. And um, the logic of each node would direct the data to a different node and you could have nested um, compositions I kind of hope that so here's I guess here's the high level shortcuts is not sophisticated enough yet to fulfill all the needs of automation on the Mac. I think that's accurate. Uh, It's probably accurate also that it's not sophisticated enough to cover the needs of iOS. It's just the it's just as good as it happens to get. Um, So if you look at shortcuts as a scaffolding for the future, I think you could imagine um, it getting new, like, logic flow capabilities, you know, like maybe little little nodes in the uh, – I'm going to open up a shortcut here to just kind of prompt my memory. But, like, yeah, you, you have, like, a linear list right now of things yeah. in, in, a, um, in a shortcut. And the cool thing about Quartz Composer was you could kind of have, like, a – two-dimensional map of all the ways that your logic could flow and um i could see it i could see it expanding in that way uh it has the potential 
to be the kind of tool like I was alluding to earlier with fast scripts where it could be simple on the surface but have depth that's available only if mm-hmm. you're interested. Yeah. Um, so it would be cool if there were like some power user, you know, th- this idea of like nodes in, um, in shortcuts, you just look for action types and you drag them in. And it would be cool if some of them were like, you know, run um, shortcut script, let's say. And it's like a text-based way to uh, manage all the different shortcut actions you want to invoke and chain together. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's just run job, you know, maybe that's just a JavaScript. Maybe there's mm. like a, um, maybe whatever they do for the future of automation involves sort of allowing more powerful segments in the chain of execution that's already yeah. there with shortcuts. Yes. Yeah. Because right now it's got options to do things like run Java, uh, Apple script, run JavaScript for automation, run this terminal command and, and things like that. Um, but as you say, it is a very linear list. It reminds me in some ways of the differences between Zapier and make now Integromat. Zapier just gives you what looks like a vertical list. And there's some, there's some, you know, if statements and, and so on in there. If you pay for the advanced stuff, you get branching and then make you've got a, a more visual layout where it, you know, splits things off and goes this way or that way, depending on what you're doing and things could run in parallel um, or they it might be an exclusive uh, branching. And I think, you know, that's a very good way to look at it um, with, uh, you know, how how this could get more powerful. What do you think of uh, automation hooks? Because that's a notable lacking feature right now on shortcuts for Mac OS. You know, iOS has got the automation tab where you can hook it into focus modes and arriving places, which maybe makes less sense for the Mac, though they do have focus mode automation triggers for location, um, which somewhat baffles me. Actually, the one that baffles me most is the application trigger for focus modes on Mac OS. So you activate Safari and it activates your focus mode and then you tab away to reply to a message and it deactivates your focus mode. Um, mm, and then mm-hmm. you tap back to Safari and it usually doesn't actually work, unfortunately, to uh, to activate your, your focus mode the second time if you do it in fairly short sequence. Um, but, you know, do you think that there's a place for an automation tab there or um, or similar? Or is that something that people should be solving, you know, through other scripting methods? Obviously, you know, file scripts is one way to do this. Um, uh, and, you know, you've got folder actions and stuff built into the operating system. Or do you think that shortcuts should maybe also step up there? I think that in general, shortcuts should step up everywhere it can mm-hmm. reasonably yeah. be wherever it can provide parity. So that might mean, for instance, one day when we have shortcuts on our watch, we don't have shortcuts on the watch, right? Uh, we do have shortcuts on the watch. It's a relatively recent edition. I believe oh, okay. it was iOS 14 that added it. Okay. It's fairly well, limited. <laughs> it's yeah. fairly so, limited, I have to say. A lot of things don't run yeah. like it. So, so yeah. it still makes a good example. In fact, maybe a better example that it does exist because I think it's okay for it to not step up in many of the same ways that a shortcut run on iOS or the Mac should behave a certain way, you know? Um, and, but I'm, I'm constantly frustrated by the little things that Apple has not stepped up to provide parity for between iOS and the Mac. And it comes down to like as things as simple as like setting timers, right? Like you, you can't set a timer. Like when they brought, Siri to the Mac and um, they didn't, you know, so many of the basics, the things you expect to work on iOS just 
didn't work on the Mac. I just find that like a missed opportunity. So I'm not super optimistic that they will step up with shortcuts everywhere um, to provide that parity, but the same way that I think they should support timers, <laughs> that I think they should support as much as they possibly can. Uh, and, and and maybe shortcuts will provide the kind of like enthusiasm and in, and attention to automation that actually inspires Apple to want to provide that parity. I can't help but feel like their 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 idea of the future of automation is more democratic but less powerful. I think that's really where they're heading. I think you're probably right, but I think that's where hopefully somebody at Apple will make the argument and win for that whole idea of simple on the surface but broad and deep where people want it. Yes. You know, the, just give just give people the out. Give people, it's kind of like, um, you know, Safari supporting app extensions or Safari mm-hmm. plugins. It's it's like Apple's not going to emphasize the the, the desire the desire or need to like go install some random third party, um, you know, like the the. Uh, you know, if eBay has a plugin or something for Safari, yeah. it's like it can be simple for everybody except for the person who wants to install a plugin to Safari. And I think that's hopefully that's the approach that they'll take with future automation enhancements as well. Yes, because we do see that, don't we, with applications like on iOS Toolbox Pro on the Mac Better Touch tool, like they both exist. I mean, Toolbox Pro exists purely to add actions to shortcuts that wouldn't otherwise be there. And Better Touch Tool, of course, had a pre-existing feature set, but it's the one that's added a a whole bunch of different things like execute this keyboard shortcut. That's something shortcuts Mm -hmm. couldn't do and Better Touch Tool now allows it to do. And Mm. I think, you know, I think we will see you know, developers stepping up to the plate is, you know, you plan to do with file scripts as well with, um, you know, the, the extra that we, we, us power users want. Um, and also what I suspect a lot of people will start with as their solution to the automation problem. Um, you know, because they know that this application has a keyboard shortcut to do the thing that they want. So the logical solution is to run the keyboard shortcut, um, you know, if they if they search for, you know, whatever the name of the app is, you know, Chihuahua Amazing App. Um, <laughs> I love, in, I love in shortcuts. that app. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's a great app. I'm just trying to pick something random that I know <laughs> doesn't have shortcut support. Um, and, you know, so they search for it and they don't have it. So then they, they find the open app. And so they can open the app. Well, that's part of the battle. So now how do I do the keyboard shortcut? You know, that's that's where they'll Google how to keyboard shortcut shortcuts. Um, yeah. And that's a terrible thing to have to Google. You need to stick Mac OS after it um, and then still hope yeah. that you don't get some blog post talking about the keyboard shortcut system preferences pane um, tab. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something where I think we will be hopefully pleasantly surprised uh, by these things. But I do think it would be nice, especially things like, folder actions in finder it's buried like finding yeah. that as just a normal user is difficult my mom had something a little while ago she, where she was like whenever i put something in this folder like it gets zipped like why is that <laughs> i deleted the folder because it didn't have anything in that i worried about and 
and then I created it and it still happens. And it turned out she had a folder action um, attached to it. And I guess like the with her deleting the folder and then creating a new one, um, you know, the folder action was still attached to the location rather than the UUID of the folder or something. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure how that happened there. Um, but either way, and she was like, what is going on? And I like had to go digging around and I eventually found the folder actions menu, which she claims she's never seen before. Um, I'm personally skeptical. Um, <laughs> she must have set this up somehow. And like there was a, an automated action in there to like make archive or something. Oh, yeah. How, how does somebody get an accidental folder action? That's what I want to know. <laughs> You're talking about the woman who periodically turns off like calendar syncing on her iPhone and swears that she's never opened the settings app. So I'm I've got no idea. Like, I've seriously considered using shortcuts on on her iOS device so that when she opens the settings app, it just, like, opens messages to me and says, like, I tried (laughs) to do something I'm not allowed to do again. I haven't done it because it would actually prevent her doing things that are necessary. Um, But, like, I've seriously considered it a few times. But, like, you know... She had no idea, theoretically, that this 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 feature existed and that it was doing magic on her Mac. And it's difficult to find even if you know it exists. So I'm, I'm sure that, you know, having a central place where you could go see all of this stuff um, yeah. and, and manage it would be, you know, really useful for people. Because I think that's the other problem, you know. You've got so many different apps running different things here, there, and everywhere, you know, theoretically running their own magic it can be really difficult to, you know, find out what's causing stuff to happen where. Um, though I have to say, this is where an app I mentioned earlier comes in handy. Backlog, it's it's useful after something's happened. It can open the it can open the console logs for the past um, and mm, even for specific mm-hmm. applications, which is great. So if I find a bug in in file scripts at some point and you get logs, you'll know it's because it happened. And I opened backlog and was able to go right. right. Show me the file scripts log for the last hour, and I'm going to send those over because I didn't have the console running. Yeah, well, I think the only explanation for your mom is that she is suffering slash possibly benefiting from sleep automation. Yep. Yep. In the yep. middle of the night, she's getting up and exploring the deep automation capabilities of her Mac, and she has no memory of it. I, I would yeah, love yeah, it if I would just woke up tomorrow morning and my bank <laughs> would, I had an automation to, to pull data off my bank website, and I had no yeah. idea how I did it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Could I, be worse. I, I do think that we're in a weird period right now. Uh, I think that the automation team is, you know, primarily shortcuts. I think they're, you know they were given Swift UI as a platform, and they're struggling to to make the best possible app with you know kind of a developing set of tools. So I don't know what the long term story is, but you know kind of tying it all together, I do think it you know shortcuts is going to get better and more efficient and all of that. But I also think that there is going to continue to be this world where Mac users can tap into things like like Apple Script. And Apple events and iOS users can't. And I, I don't know that Apple's ever really going to be able to fix that at this point. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of the idea of having, like, like if I look at shortcuts right now, it's already overwhelmed with actions. And um, mm-hmm. they need to do something about this because, like, it's really hard to organize and get to, like, what are the different actions. And you, even if you search, it's like run JavaScript, for instance, I typed in earlier uh, while we were talking about that in this. I've already got like one for audio hijack, one for the web, one for JavaScript for automation. Um, hopefully there will just be so many options that they'll have to organize this better and, and, um, and, you know, 
I don't know why. I, I kind of, I think I kind of lost my train of thought there. Uh, started talking about this for some other reason, and now I can't remember what. But um, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a. It, I guess in 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 closing about shortcuts, I would just say I hope it uh, hope it continues to get attention. It's been nice to see how much little bug fixes are coming. There's a steady stream of little bug fixes, and yes. hopefully that means that when like WWDC comes o- along. We'll see like uh, shortcuts for the Mac two or whatever, and it'll yeah. be something to to celebrate. Yes, yes, and hopefully they'll they'll finally fix that issue that I have, where if I download a shortcut and it's got an action in that I don't know, and my Mac doesn't know it or my iPhone doesn't know it, it doesn't just say unknown action, oh. um, or very occasionally a translation yeah. string because you know that that's always good fun. Um, it, right. The translation string is for unknown action. I did report that one a, a couple of oh. times, I think. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little interesting when that happens. But yeah. yeah, it would be lovely to to have more ways to organize both the actions inside of shortcuts um, and also um, be able to organize shortcuts by actions and filter for it includes actions from this application or that application and so on and yeah. so forth. So I could really see you know, what What things have I got that could possibly be affecting OmniFocus or whatever right. it is that I'm, I'm looking to, you know, do something with. I remember now, the reason I started down that path was because David was saying something about how, you know, these resources on the Mac, like running an Apple script, are not going to be made available to iOS. But I think um, what can happen is, I, 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 that got me thinking about how there's like an, a limitless number of new actions that people can add. And the Apple script and stuff like that can sort of fill in the gaps until an appropriate kind of quote unquote native shortcut action exists. And so I think in that sense, it's like at some point you'll be able to look at your list of shortcuts that like work on the Mac, but don't work on iOS and start asking yourself like, what would it take for there to be a type of action that does this, that would work on iOS and the Mac. And um, maybe if it becomes popular enough, that'll be a kind of a motivator to people, right? And, and people like you and David who are talking about the shortcomings of, you know, shortcuts, <laughs> we'll say, well, there's this Apple script I rely on that does this this thing. And if only mm-hmm. somebody would make an app that provides shortcut that does that everywhere. Uh, so I think it's I love I love the fact, like you said early on, that they decided to include Apple Script support. Um, it's it, it 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 has the the possibility that it will sort of give shortcuts more viability as it matures and give it a sort of scaffolding on which to build. Yeah, well, and and there's two points on that. First of all, is you can see this happening actively right now if you go into Automator and you look at the things in Automator that last year got moved to shortcuts. There were actions like PDF and file actions that uh, you know got moved because they're like, well, we can currently do this with auto- an automator action, which is in essence a fancy Apple script. So we've got to build it into shortcuts. But they right. left some out. You know, There's some that didn't make it. And like this year, and when we get to June, will we see Apple move more from the category of automator to shortcuts? And then... The other thing I think that is very illustrative of your point is this app, Better Touch Tool. And Better Touch Tool is an app that was made to uh, make it easy to, you know, add functions to your touch bar or to your touchpad, and it's kind of expanded. But the developer went nuts with his shortcut support. And, like, things like select an item from the menu or, you know, like all this stuff that we want to do that, you know, shortcuts team wasn't given the rope to do. Uh, 
he put, he just added it to his app. It has almost nothing to do with what his app does. But suddenly yeah. it's like you've got this Trojan horse of actions that you've dropped into your Mac into shortcuts just by having better touch tools. So I, I really think it's we're at an interesting time and and we're all speculating. But um, I do think that people who want to automate this stuff is going to get a lot easier for you in the future. And and that's what our hope. But either way, Daniel Jalkit, thank you so much for coming. Now, you mentioned your podcast, but you're such a classy guy. You didn't even say the name. It's called Core Intuition. It's an excellent application. Uh, I'm an excellent podcast. And uh, mm-hmm. you can go in there. And Daniel has, I mean, the reason I love having him on our show is because he's got this insight as someone who likes to automate, but also writes automation tools. Well, you get that insight every, every episode of Core Intuition. So we're going to put a link in the show notes for that. Um, Thank we'll, you. We'll also put a link in for Red Sweater Software, which is, you know, where all these great apps are. Anywhere else people should look for you, Daniel? Oh, well, if you just want to get like my less uh, professional side, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Daniel Punkass. Um, that's kind of the breadth of, of most of my stuff is either Red Sweater or kind of being a smart aleck on Twitter. Uh, so simultaneously the best and worst Twitter handle of any of my friends, I'll have to say. <laughs> it really, it's funny. Uh, I, I'll real, say really quickly, I had a cause this past weekend for um, several local news stations to get in touch with me about an accident that I witnessed on a highway uh, around here. And, to have to explain to all of them what my Twitter handle is, <laughs> to spell it out for them, it's always kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much for all the hard work you've done for our community of automators. And uh, Fast Scripts is just an excellent app. Rose and I both use it. If you're listening to automators, you should go check it out. And and as Daniel again mentioned, but was too nice to, to explain, you can use automators for free. He's got a lot of features in there that you can just download the app and start using it. And I'd recommend you do that. And uh, if you like it, you know, register and, and give Daniel some money because it's a great app. Anything else, uh, Daniel, any other places people find you? Um, nah, you know, I have some blogs, but my blog is my main blog. I haven't written as much as I should as the developer of a, of a blog editor, but my main uh, like technology blog is bitsplitting.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like my, that's kind of like my home base really on, on the web, I guess. Um, so between that Twitter and my company website, redsweater.com, you'll find plenty to, uh, to hopefully sate your curiosity. About there you me. go. And in the uh, the after show today, we're going to talk to about Daniel's ninth grade automation because this is a good story. Uh, mm-hmm. So for the supporters, we'll we'll be talking about that. Also, thank you to our sponsors, Text Expander, Hunter Douglas, and Devin Think. We are the Automators. You can find us at relay.fm/slash/automators, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.